Hello, and welcome to another episode of This Particular Album is Very, Very Important to Me. I'm Deborah Tarika. I'm Joel Spence. This is the podcast where we ask people we love to pick an album that is very, very important to them, and here they share their memories. Great and not so great. And emotional connections. Great and also not so great. And we all get to listen to it through their ears. So, uh, how you doing? You got anything you'd like to get off your chest? Or um, I know last episode we just went right into. We went it right it into it. it. It kind of felt. Um, it was very. It was like jumping into a cold pool. Yeah, it was very scary for me. Um, I'm good. Okay, cool. Let's get into the, uh, <laughs> the first segment. That's good because I want. That's it. And I you know you can know contribute good. this whole time. Oh, he doesn't. I'm know. choosing not to. Oh, okay, all right. You know what I really want to talk about, Joel? Yeah. That um, we have a segment that's called This Particular Song is Very, Very Important to Me. Yeah. I'm just dying to get this off my chest. Great. I really want um, to talk about my song. Great. Shall I just play it? Yeah. So, okay. So this particular song is very, very important to me because this particular guest is very, very important to me too. Bring the beat in. We'll introduce him in a second, but um, it's my husband. <laughs> <laughs> this is Beyonce's Love on Top. Um, came and out in 2011, September 12th. Shoo, uh, <laughs> from her album Four. The second I heard this song, I was like, I, I was obsessed with it. Um, and I played it over and over and over again. And every part of this song I love. It sounds like she's smiling the whole time. I love songs where it sounds like they're smiling when they're singing it. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Even if it's an act, I don't give a shit. I love it so much. <laughs> this is the song that I chose to walk down the aisle to at our wedding. Oh. I'm a Beyonce fan. I wouldn't say I'm like a huge Beyonce fan. I've never seen her in concert or anything, but like this song, there's something about it that just, it is just joyful to me. And that was my only, my only goal. I had goals for her my wedding yeah <laughs> and it was that it would be joyful yeah and so i thought starting it off and i thought about walking down the aisle to like something that my mom had uh the song my mom had walked down the aisle to or a version of that or yeah. um more something more traditional and then i kind of just said fuck it which feels a little unexpected for me because i think i'm a little bit predictable <laughs> with things like <laughs> well that. you had a that was a big argument between you two because you wanted a real grim yeah. morose wedding right? yeah i wanted like playing like six feet under some really heavy yeah. uh heavy stuff we yeah. were gonna fight a lot so then we compromise for a little while and be like okay well it won't be heavy it'll be like Bauhaus, something that's, you know, just serious and dark. Uh, <laughs> Adagio for strings. Mm -hmm. But then we ended up here. And then you just apologize and everyone goes home. Yeah, yeah. it sounded nice. And that's kind of what happened. <laughs> yeah. Is this on your regular playlist now, or is it kind of captured in, in this? It. I didn't listen to it for like a year. Yeah. I actually, you saying that right now made me just go, oh, that's right, I don't listen to it very often because it makes me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Aaron Gibson cried last I time, so yeah, we did. have high expectations for you. Yeah. <laughs> There's a number of songs Deborah will, that Deborah can't really listen to without crying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's some really happy ones and some really sad ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a nice little balance. And is there anything uh, lyrically in the song that you connect to? I think, uh, in a way, because I think it, like us getting married, was us kind of making a choice to like put each other on top yeah. in that way. And I think there's something symbolic about that. It's that beat is like uh, it's 
I'm not sure what would happen on the dance floor if this song was. I'm sure people would dance, but it's also a song oh, that you dance. can just play where you're not dancing and your yeah. body just kind of sort of moves. It just kind of chugs along. Yeah. It, it feels like an older sort of pop song back in like sort of like the Whitney Houston days mm-hmm. where yeah. its heightening is driven purely by her. She does these key changes uh, yeah. and that's what's pushing it. But the song is just some session musicians just bopping along. They, <laughs> right. they don't really like do all that much. Yeah. Uh, but she's just driving it forward, which feels a little bit more like it, it doesn't feel like, you know, this decade. Yeah. Pop right. Music. It's just pure talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it gives me the chills every time she changes an octave. It's kind of like birdhouse in your soul. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Wh- whiplash. Sort of genre. <laughs> This just feels so like you kind of have to dance, and you can definitely dance to this song. I know what you mean, but like you can definitely. I can't. I think I would look like an idiot if I was on the dance floor dancing to this song because I need it to be extremely fast so no one notices anything, (laughs) or it's slow and I can kind of handle that. Yeah. (laughs) Like this is almost one that I want to dance to by myself, not with people watching, but like I want to just close my eyes, blast it, because you. I have to listen to this incredibly loud, loudly, um, and in my car is the optimal place for it. Yeah. Alone in my car. Sorry, Alex. <laughs> Not with the person I married. Well, when you uh, came down the aisle, you were alone in a car. I was. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just in neutral rolling right. down the aisle. My parents running ahead. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm just like, I guess we were going to give her away, but we just gave her keys. Um, okay, so my, this is, speaking of Whiplash, uh, this is also from an album called Four, uh, but it's Foreigner. <laughs> This is jukebox hero. <laughs> nice. And it's a double four. I feel like you'd like that because there's like pun yeah. involved. The foreigner. This is sad. Oh yeah, yeah four. Yeah, they should have called yeah. the foreigner. Yeah. <laughs> Got it pissed uh, off. Now that I think about it. Yeah. They or just change their name oh, to yeah. F O U R. I can't spell. Heard the roar of the crowd. He could picture the scene. Put his head to the wall. Then like a distance. My 10-year-old self loved these guitar breaks. This was a song that, this was right when I was getting into or paying attention to the top 10 list every night on the radio station. And there's this also song that has a narrative in it. So as for a kid, you're like, okay, there's a story. So I can follow it and it's pretty simple. What's the summary of the story? If you, uh, it's about a kid that dreams of being a, a, a rock star, and he goes to watch a concert, but it's sold out, so he's stuck outside. But then at the end, he does become. I, there's no, there's no middle part. He just, <laughs> he's there, and then there's problem presented, and then problem over. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, he's trying to maintain. I guess that's the struggle. He's maintaining this his jukebox hero, jukebox hero status, and then at the end. He sees another kid uh, waiting outside, uh, so I guess there is some sort of tension with that. Uh, there's another dreamer that's about to take his place. To me, I found it so um, cinematic, too. Is this part? I loved as a kid this weird swirly. Yeah. It almost synth. feels Fleetwood Mackie. Yeah. 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 That's the band's name, right? Fleetwood Mackie. Fleetwood Mackie. Fleetwood Mackie. Yeah. It's like the 
not the stage directions in a screenplay, but like with the description of oh yeah, yeah, mm. it's like it's this happening and this happening yeah. and this happening. And this was the first concert I ever went and saw uh, in really? 1981. Yeah, with my my dad and a bunch of friends. Uh, my brother's age, I think it was for his birthday. Was it this one? No, it was Journey. The, it, Brian Adams opened up for Foreigner, and then a year later we went to see Journey. Brian Adams opened for <laughs> <laughs> and My brother got mugged at a Journey concert. Uh, what? Yeah, it was crazy. But I, I, I remember this song... The whole experience was terrifying to me because it was so loud. I'd never been in a situation like that. It's a closed arena, so it was just like a menacing a sound. Uh, I probably could smell uh, weed, but I didn't yeah. know what it was. Um, but it was also so cool. And in this song, they their sort of stage prop, they had a stage prop, which was a, a jukebox <laughs> inflatable that just Great. sort of uh, was inflated on stage during it. And I, I thought it was so interesting and odd and I've seen videos of it in, in the uh, since then and it, it's so small like <laughs> in my mind it was kind of big but it's almost like uh, Stonehenge like yeah, it's yeah. like this and it is bigger than them but it's so ridiculous looking I don't know why <laughs> you so need funny. a visual representation and in the end it explodes oh wow <laughs> that's amazing and on I guess, purpose yeah okay the uh, first concert I ever saw was you lose in the news yeah probably like in 87 and, and they had an album called four yeah, you're right. Wow. <laughs> that wasn't where I was driving this, but... <laughs> right? It's F-O-R-E. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right? this is a perfect trifecta. Uh, <laughs> and they, their stage prop, that I, I can remember... I was, I was little. I think I was like five. And I can remember two things from the concert. I went with my mom and my Aunt Martha. One was they were selling like these like cloth roses that had lights in them that, lit, glow, that glowed oh, okay. and you could yeah. buy. Yeah. Um, and then also when they did Hip to be Square, there's that part <laughs> they go, Hip. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, and at that point, they had what even, I can. This is the only thing I can picture and remember is hunks come out and sing it. Oh, <laughs> like, like hunks and news. There's yeah. pictures of you doing that dance. Yeah, I've I, seen I, I loved you losing news as a kid. Uh, and so when that part comes out, and these guys must have just been waiting backstage, like come out like doing this very simple like hip <laughs> hip so and it's like a joke. It's like part yeah. of a bit. But I remember as a kid being like, okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I'm supposed to like this. Yeah, I'm supposed okay. to like this. <laughs> Could you think it might have been uh, crew members, or did they get a new cast no, every night? No, I think night? it's connected to the video. I think there's, like, okay. hunks in the video or something. I, okay. I, 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 yeah, sometimes bands just hire a different group of studs every... Studs? Uh, every no, they were hunks. They weren't studs. They were hunks. <laughs> Are you even listening to me? They were hunks. Okay, what is your defi- what's your difference between a hunk and a stud? A, hunk is, a stud okay. is a sexual being. A hunk doesn't have to be, right? Those guys might not have so been like, stun- okay. Studs are hunks, but hunks aren't studs. I got it. Okay. Necessarily. Okay. Well, good. Which, good where do you fall on that? I would say that hunks are, it's a more, I, I think this is what you just said, but it's a more general yeah. term and studs falls under hunks, but hunks doesn't fall under studs. Or am yeah. I saying the reverse? Like no, someone's dad right. could be a hunk, but if you said some, your dad's a stud, that'd be more inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. stud, I feel like stud implies your shirt is off. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. a hunk, you could wear a shirt and it would just be wet. You're still a hunk. Also, yeah. it doesn't stud comes from like like sex, like, uh, like that, oh that horses. horse yeah. that that is oh, gonna yeah. fuck your horse. Like we're gonna breed. <laughs> so, but if you bring a hunky horse, it's being like, oh, that's a handsome horse. Yeah. No, threat. no threat. I'm not necessarily gonna fuck it. Nice tail. Nice, nice tail. tail. Nice mane. 
strong shoulders good teeth mm-hmm. speaking of all that our guest uh, <laughs> we've already been talking to him listening to him is mr alex fernie one seventh member of sentimental lady mm-hmm. one third member of convoy director writer performer at ucb and all around los angeles he's directed a lot of episodes of bajillion dollar properties children's hospital and beyond Alex Fernie, thank you so much for joining us. Today. Thanks for having me. And as we said before, he's also one one half of my marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, one half, and and married to the beleaguered, <laughs> long suffering <laughs> Deborah Tarika. <laughs> Alex Fernie, what I- what album is very very important to you? Uh, I picked uh, 2003's uh, "Hearts of Oak" by Ted Leo and the Pharmacists. Great, fantastic choice. Um, mm-hmm. I feel if I had listen to the, the 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 big single from this if you can call it that mm-hmm. is um it some play. where have all the uh rude, rude boys, boys gone if i had listened to this song one more time i would have dove into this guy i remember hearing it and going i think that's i think i like this guy and then i just never got another chance it never came up again in yeah. my mm-hmm. uh churning of uh, whatever at that time and uh but since you mentioned it uh as as one of the albums you wanted to talk about i i don't I dove in. And I Did love you him. say do- um, dive into the sky or this guy? This guy. This guy. I thought you said sky at first, and I was like, one, this, this one is not an expression that I've ever Dove into heard. the sky. But I thought you meant that like you couldn't love Very it more. That's how I took it. Oh, like, wow. If I listened to it one more time, I would have just dove into the sky. <laughs> and, and so I, was I like, deliberately did yeah. not because I don't want that much I don't want to burn up in the sun's It corona. honestly like, resonated with me, and I was like, <laughs> I hear cool. you, Joel. What happened to Joel? Yeah, He's so happy. All right, so let's let's start playing. This has an interesting. This isn't. It wasn't like a concept album. Do you do you know of anything like that? Or, or? no, not really. I mean, like he. So Ted Leo was, you know, he was in punk bands in the '90s, including Chisel, which is a band I, I like quite a bit as well. Uh, and then when Chisel broke up, he started doing his own stuff. And the first Ted Leo and the Pharmacist album was basically like him and uh, uh, Tape Loops. He would play okay. guitar in their tape loops, and it's very different than where he ended up. Uh, and he had an album called Tyranny of Distance before this that was more in the lines of this. Um, but by from what I've read by his own account, he started getting uh, really into Thin Lizzy, uh, <laughs> could, yeah, and mixing that with his sort of like punk smart roots, punk kind and, of, yeah. and that's where this album kind of came. Because the I asked that I asked that because the first song, "Building Sky- Skyscrapers in the Basement," has this sort of intro quality to it. Like, okay, here's like the prologue to yeah. it because mm-hmm. it's so short, and there's like a well, just leave. It has a nice bookend quality mm-hmm. to it. Like the the first and last songs feel like good first and last songs. Right. It, it... Is there a place to go where a little girl might never have to know? I think this is something that's very important to me. I keep, it keeps coming up in my experiences of like when I hear a song that feels like it should be the end song. I'm like this. And it's not. I yeah. get disappointed. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. Should, so I feel like this is a very satisfying album. I know some things I'd rather not, like the time so I was in college. I remember when I got this album, and I got it because uh, my friend from college, Pat McAlpin, he burned it for me. And I can I somewhere still have the burn CD with his handwriting, Hearts of Oak, Ted Leo. Um, and that was the first place I got it. I think because I had heard Rude Boys at a party. Uh-huh. Um, and he was like, you'll really like this band. Uh, you'll really like Ted Leo. He was from New Jersey, I think. 
where Ted Leo is This also is College from, in Vassar, right? College of Vassar in, in Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, and so we, I, I wish I could remember, I remember we traded burn CDs. I gave him something and I can't remember what it was and he gave me this. I feel like it would have been Modest Mouse, or is that too soon? No, no, because that would have been, they would have been at, at Vassar in 03 or 04, that, that would have been, the, yeah. the moon in Antarctica okay. was everywhere. So. I guess I don't know you. Uh, um, <laughs> no, you don't. No, don't. I tried to prove to, to everybody that I Swing do in fact know you. <laughs> So this this is the single where have all the root boys gone? It's about uh, ska fans. Yeah, it's about ska, and specifically about the specials. All the names are members of the specials that he he gets to a he sings a part of it in the round later. Yeah, yeah. He's basically hiding ska songs and special songs in the lyrics. So oh, okay. It, and I think it's partially specifically about ska and that sort of thing. And then also, I think coming out in 03, there's an element of, I think, a little bit of that sort of, he's been around for long enough looking yeah. back on, hey, he's this a- is, you know, what happened to this sort of maybe more kind of like positive scene? What happened to the sort of stuff that yeah. I loved but it never strikes me as that old man cranky like it's celebratory yeah. instead of being like ah oh, yeah, kids yeah, yeah, I miss yeah. the old days yeah, yeah. exactly yeah my basic knowledge of music history is, is terrible but this was now at a time where song singer songwriters were emerging that had an enormous encyclopedia of pop songs in their head already mm-hmm. um, and this is why he reminds me of Miller was his last name Scott Miller from Game Theory and then the Loud Family and John Bryan I put them all in this sort Mm -hmm. of uh, Amy Mann this category Mm -hmm. of uh, you can hear 40 years of music coming through them in each of their albums of of pop music I really like pretty much everything Ted Leo's done yeah Um, and he's you know I I just think a a really fascinating guy Uh, there's a really great interview with him in Stereo Gum that came out like about you posted a few that weeks ago and, and I read that the tip to tail yeah. and that was fascinating he's very engaged without being preachy like he there's a lot of political stuff but you never feel bludgeoned he's very smart without being kind of know-it-all-y uh, it feels a little bit like he's it's not that he's like trying to teach anybody a lesson it's just no. this is how he's feeling right now he he makes himself vulnerable in his songs without it being annoying yeah I think I feel like okay. I, I was thinking about that vulnerability a little bit because I think I say that a lot and because I gravitate towards that kind of music um, because mm-hmm. it's not it's produced music but it's feels raw still like yeah. his voice feels raw it feels yes. like his he's not it it's just a really like it feels like a very honest album but through and through i think he's always stayed true mm-hmm. to that i don't there's nothing you're absolutely right and there's i i was trying to figure out what was what quality was making him so endearing as he's 
with all this ballsy guitar work and the, the part of him that is punk is singing almost at the edge of his register. The melody is yeah. almost, it's like they're on the verge of falling apart every mm-hmm. time. Or he's just a, a half second ahead of everything and the whole band is trying to catch up with him. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a really exciting uh, listening. And then you take one look at him and you're like, oh, what Herald team is he on? <laughs> But it also feels like he's, this is kind of in connection to your song, like, he does, uh, or to Jukebox Hero, like, I feel like he makes these albums because he has to. I feel like, and even in reading that article, it it seems to be true, where, like, he makes music because there is nothing else he can do. Yeah. Um, it's not because he wants to make money. It sounds like he doesn't make that much money off of yeah. this stuff. And so it's not It's not to be Jukebox Hero. It's not to be this like yes. well-known person. It's, yeah. It feels special to know him and feel special to listen to his music because he still feels underground well, in a I, cool way. And I think part of it is, you know, when this came out in 03, which was right in the middle of that like, quote, indie rock boom, yeah. right? Like the, yeah. the, the strokes hit a couple years before the white stripes and and he was a part of that and he was kind of held up as this guitar god guy he's the, he's the guitar guard uh, indie guitar rock god guy. of this indie rock scene yeah that's okay happening. gotcha um and he always i think didn't fit in with a lot of those people like the strokes like the yeah yeah yeahs because he it, to my eye refuses to self-mythologize mm. like and i think that's i think that's the, the punk in him is he refuses to build the myth around him. He refuses yeah. to hype himself. Um, uh, and I think that's why I, I, I've you know, never grown tired of him. There's no shtick to Ted Leo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's I wonder if that's even rare. purposeful. I think that, I bet that, again, I think he's that's too sincere. Like, yeah. You know, I, I think he's a really sincere and smart guy. Again, without being, you know, like, without trying. You know, like, you can... Oh, I There's love plenty this of line right there. Sorry to interrupt you. Is that if it looks like a dog and what? If it looks like a dog and it smells, smells like, like a dog, dog. then let's give it a walk. Right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, I like that whole little phrase there. A lot of his mm-hmm. songs are political. A lot of his so- some of his songs are about music. A lot of them are autobiographical about things, and they're not so opaque that you can't figure it out. But they're not so on the nose that you know exactly where he's coming from. And then yeah. he's a, not in a fuck you way, but will be like. I don't really want to talk about what that song's about. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And you can sense it, but there's no... I think he could have been a quote-unquote rock star if mm-hmm. he wanted to. Mm-hmm. And I think he could have... Not ragging on any other bands, but like, like he could have been like gone down that like, we're the hold steady and you yeah. know, we're the second coming of Springsteen. That's our shtick. Yeah. And he, he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's great. I think mm-hmm. that's truly punk I think that's mm-hmm. like he makes it about the music I wanted to hear whatever that line was and the other thing quality like some artists cut this out in recording but he's not his it's all lyrics all his songs are so has so, have so many lyrics mm-hmm. and you hear him gasping for breath yeah. for the yeah. next line like and it's not cut out like you can hear him just like and when I saw his uh, have you seen him live before? I'm a sure bunch yeah. yeah I saw his performance on Conan mm-hmm. uh, of the of 
where have all the rude boys gone? And it's just so exhilarating to yeah. see him accomplish it. Just the yeah. physicality of when he of plays. So he's playing guitar the whole time, and he looks like he's about to fall forward. Yeah, you know, it, with his yeah. chin, like he just he's just shooting it out, yeah. staying on top of the song. Yeah. Uh, and again, like you're just like drawn to, like he's really great. And you know, Deb and I've seen him, and I've seen him, we've seen him with the pharmacist, seen him with both, seen him play solo when he plays, you know, electric guitar still, and it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, really wonderful like like he, he really is great and, and this song I'm a Ghost you know like it's it's really melodic and it's nice mm-hmm. and and then he gets to that punk you know like and he kicks it up and then he comes in here with a solo and it's the song shouldn't work there, there are too many pieces it really does function like yeah. like the, these pieces I don't think should be in the same song. I think yeah, and and then I think yet. that might be why I like it so much. I yeah. I like songs that make a meal out of something. Yeah. I like I like um the those kind of things where you know it's the same way. I I like I don't want just a hamburger. I want a hamburger and I want an appetizer yeah. and I want a milkshake with it and I want like I'll I, get I on the like twenty four. <laughs> How um, many times do I have to ask? <laughs> I guess four. Get it? Yeah, four. it's like no. Oh, yeah. Didn't even mean to. I was waiting for another, like, an opportunity to say four again. Oh, you will find yeah. it. <laughs> you will find it. Why did you not talk to me? You said you would talk to me. You could never talk to me again. In LA, I don't get like really nervous around people, like 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 yeah. actors or celebrities and stuff. And, and but it, that is not true of musicians. And the two people I've been in the same place with that I've like in, interior monologue you would know freaked out the most were Ted Leo and then another thing. Ever Levine, Slater, Ever Levine, she's so good. <laughs> uh, Slater Kenny, like I oh, like yeah, yeah. I've I've just melt down because yeah. I'm like I want I don't know how to express. You know what some of this music is meant to me, and this in particular, end of college. A lot of the albums I was thinking about sending you guys. Um, I think two of the ones I sent you as possibles, but then there are others are, oh three, oh four, oh five. Partially because of my age and ending college and moving mm-hmm. out to LA and sort of stuff. Um, but that was a big time for me. So we're yeah. looking at apologize to the Queen Mary or or one B or or the Woods for Slayer Kenny or yeah. you know like a lot of albums around there uh, like that just really really have are hardwired into whatever emotional core in my brain there is. They're really there. And, and this song, High Party, and the next song, Hearts of Oak, are, are except, that's exceptionally true. So you were in college at the mm-hmm. time. Like, what else was happening for you? Why do you feel like yeah. such a strong connection to that? Part of it is, I think that is a bit, I bet, I, I would imagine as you guys do this podcast, you'll get a lot of people with that age, mm-hmm. their album coming from that age, I would guess. Um, yeah. So part of it is that I, I think it's probably I think it's probably biological that we are reactive to art that affects us at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it was at that point, that's hard, like leaving college and coming out here with so much uncertainty, that was 
tough and that was hard. This came out in 03. His next album, uh, Living with the Living, was the next album, I'm pretty sure. And that had me and Mia on it. That was the next, that came out the next year. And that those really sort of like got me through. And I remember listening in college as I was like approaching graduation, listening to this album over and over and over. And the sincerity of it, mm-hmm. uh, again, without being schmaltzy, without being like, look how sincere I'm being. There's no thing, nothing performative of it. Yeah. Um, really, really affected me as well. And there's a song coming up I don't know uh, again if you bounce around in this yeah, but like yeah, we can. so Ballad of a Sin Eater is uh, very is like a straight up political song on this yeah. um, there isn't really guitar in it and it's sort of this like travelogue of this like, yeah this is the one where he goes all around the world and right? he mm-hmm. just shreds ugly Americans mm-hmm. in, in, in one of the best ways and, and yes. there's a lot of elements I like about this song A it's filled with puns <laughs> uh, he, he's a very politically engaged guy and it's all these little couplets about this guy traveling around the world and just everyone hates him everywhere he goes and yeah. the chorus is you didn't think they you'd hate you now did you? you didn't think they hate you didn't think they hate you now well do they hate you they hate you because you're guilty the whole song is I I I I and the chorus which is to you and one of the things I like about this in 2003 is it would have been easy just to take pot shots at Bush it would have been easy just to take pot shots at Cheney or or, or, or their supporters and I don't think that's what he's doing I think this mm. is as much about uh, there was some review from it a contemporary review I remember being like this is Ted Leo saying having a Howard Dean pin on your backpack isn't enough mm. um, <laughs> and I think it's as much about you know the the war that was starting and the reaction to 9-11 and the, the people who push that forward as it is those people who are passively part of that and I think the I, 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 I and then switching to you is he, I don't think he's excluding himself from yeah. that yeah. I think he's saying American and I think one thing I've been thinking about a lot recently is I think right now because of everything that's going on people have forgotten how horrible it was in that time mm-hmm. the lead up to the war and then Bush winning in 04 for me as someone who was just getting out of college and going to college and was, was a pretty big lefty and was going anti-war. The failure of that anti-war movement mm-hmm. and that the, the, when Bush won. That was a big gut punch it, for a lot of us. For, I, I'm certain it defined me in ways that I can't quite pin. Yeah. Yeah. It, it defined my way of thinking because it the, the disappointment mm-hmm. and to believe like this is unjust and this is wrong but we got it and it's like no 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 <laughs> you don't got it and it literally took it, it basically took Katrina took an act of nature for people to for that ship to really tip mm. was really crushing I mean the words you're describing you can use them now no. obviously yeah. and it's so everything you're saying is like yep Yep, it's, yep. It's, and and I, I believe that that time got us here. Yeah. Like, I, I mm-hmm. truly, I believe that what was happening then and when they realized that they pulled it off, mm-hmm. that gets us to 2017. Yeah. And I think Ted Leo in this song is seeing it. But also, again, like, it's, it's not preachy. It's it's there's and funny. it's still just yeah. a good album. Yeah, there's uh, the, the 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 pun in it. There's a bunch, but uh, you know he's singing about the Rwandan genocide and stuff. <laughs> and there's line: I spend a night in Kigali at the Five Diamond Hotel, where maybe someday they'll do the Watutsi way down in Hutu Hell, which has 
at least two puns that I can see about yeah. the Rwandan genocide. And again, it's not making light of it, but it's just sort of being like, this is, it, it feels to me almost like, you know, a modest proposal. It feels to me like an actual work of something mm-hmm. describing that time and yeah. Americans abroad and American self-image. Or making light of the making light of it, almost. Mm-hmm. Like, no, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is, um, I'm gonna give you full credit for this, Alex. Um, I think it was probably right around the election where some, uh, this is a very loose quote where you said, well, at, at least we might get a Ted Leo album out of this. Well, <laughs> I, I, right? So you said something very yeah. similar to that of like... It, I said, the I, bet, way, I bet we will, yeah. yeah. That's what made that article in, was it Stereo Gun? Yeah. So much so. more poignant to me was just how he's in a transitional, or he's he sort of... his girlfriend was ill or something like that yeah. right his, uh, he's just had a lot of hard like, things in his life yeah and he's now talking about things that he never wanted to talk about mm-hmm. or he feels comfortable talking about really personal things that happened from his childhood and um it just i, I can totally see how when everything is crazy you find an artist that is speaking for you uh, in language you didn't know was there yeah um and how you can grab onto that for um, like just just to have someone be your um, scout for mm-hmm. the next couple of years. Like I know yeah. someone out there just is making sense and can articulate uh, with beauty um, as well as all the tragedy that is going on, and that that's a very hopeful thing. And I think he the the other thing I think this album in particular, but really across the board, like you know, me and Mia is about some heavy stuff. Sons of Cain is about some heavy stuff. You know what I mean? Like he's got a lot of even uh, uh, off of um, Brutalist Bricks, like Bottling Cork. Like mm-hmm. you know, that, that's there's about some real personal stuff. And I never get despair from his music, even when he's singing about things that you could despair of. Yeah. There, it, it's not hope. I don't know the word for it, but like th- th- there's no certainly there's no self pity. Uh, and right. it's, it's a processing. It's a dealing of things. It's a discussion which to me feels healthy and beautiful and amazing and what I think good art is, you know? Like, it's not just... It's it's even the things that are about his life or their autobiographical. I don't feel him going like, "Hey, make it about me." Yeah, it's it's honesty without full exposure too, mm-hmm. which is kind of mm-hmm. a, a nice way of doing it. So it's not I'm not thinking about him specifically while he's singing, but I know that it's there. Yeah. Uh, that Conan performance. On his guitar, it says "No War" on it mm-hmm. that he scrawled on it, and in on a lot of bands or artists, if they had put that on there, I would be infuriated yes. mm-hmm. just because of it seems sort of like a gimmick. Yeah, with him, it just, there's no gimmick. It's sincerity. No, I think I feel like the word you're looking for is sincerity across yeah, yeah. the board because it's not he's not trying to be anything. He's just expressing how he feels yeah. without trying to impress or yeah it doesn't not trying to impress anybody not trying to sound like i mean when he's sounding like other bands or he has snippets of that kind of stuff it feels like a tribute it doesn't feel like he's like stealing it Mm -hmm. it feels sincere in his motives And then meanwhile, too, he can do, like, off of, I think it was off Brutalist Bricks, I forget what song it was, they did a music video with, like, 
he had with Paul Tompkins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was kind of making fun of Green Day's Broadway musical where they're putting on a musical for his album. Uh, <laughs> and it's like goofy and fun and weird. And I don't know how he manages it. They don't clash. So you can have, you know, Baldessinator or a song like Bomb Repeat Bomb off of a different album. And you can be the artist who creates that. And you can do a music video where Paul Tompkins is a weird Broadway producer <laughs> forcing you to like do the end. Yeah. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. accept it. You don't go like, I don't, that's off brand. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I think it's what you were saying before though. It's because he's not one thing and yeah. he never tried to make himself one thing. And it's even, it what I think you guys were just saying, um, like he's been through a lot in his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's in his forties. Of course he has, you know, not yeah. of course bad things have happened, but yeah. we've all, he lets that, he doesn't just say he's this one thing. Yeah. He lets his life, be his life. I don't. Mm-hmm. I think that's so interesting, and I, he doesn't try and just like put on. Yeah, or define himself in one way. I, uh, I keep coming back to in what year was Matador? 2010? No. Uh, what year? The, the festival. The festival. Yeah, we talked We've, about, we talked about this before, but yeah. that he was one of the mo- ones I was most excited to see mm-hmm. at that festival in Las Vegas, and he. It was didn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> he was just even it felt weird reading the stereo gum thing about that time where it was like, oh, he wasn't as like it was a hard time for him, yeah. but he was so present there. And we we went to do karaoke. Wasn't he doing karaoke? Like, yeah. And it was like he, indie karaoke, so it'd be like, oh, this karaoke has lace heavy fat. <laughs> it was like him letting loose John Ross Barry was there just fucking yep. going nuts and having the yeah. best time. All of Naked Babies, I think yeah. almost all of Naked Babies were there and just having the best time. Um, but even like it it he just felt like him. Like you could have gone up to talk to him and I and I feel like he either would have said, No, not right now or he would have been like, Yeah, let's grab a drink. Like I, I think you can go either way. Yeah. I went back and I saw I had tweeted at him. Huh. <laughs> I never tweet at people and I was like, <laughs> When I see you I'm gonna hug you, Ted Leo. I did not, I will not. <laughs> I got very nervous. And he blocked you. Yeah. <laughs> The high party is 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 a really sort of fun oh, live okay. album and oh. or, li- or song live, and then right after that, there's the title track, Hearts of Oak, uh, and I I think it's fascinating in the order of the album that that comes before Ballad of a Sin Eater, um, okay. because this song to me and this is the title track here. This this is, yeah, yeah. This um, is one of the first songs oh, yeah. you ever played for yeah, me yeah. of his. Joking before about. You know, like this album can catch me, and this song can catch me in the right mood and really affect. I don't really know what this is about. Um, yeah. This song. Uh, I was reading you know, somewhere it was about like his about women, women bands, girl bands at the time, oh. and like him trying to like say like that's shitty. It's hard what you're going through. Yeah. <laughs> The hopefulness in this. There's something about this song, and I, I don't have. I don't actually know. I don't know if I've verbalized it before, so I don't know if I have the words. But like, this song to me sound like it's it's hopeful and it's fun, and I love it, and it can affect me emotionally because it really feels to me like at any moment it tips over to bad news, right? Like, like there's something <laughs> about like the way he's singing, and again that urgency. Mm-hmm. This isn't sort of like hey and sun shining and everything's happy. This is a a hopeful and maybe there's elements of happiness song to it in the face of bad mm. right it's all about like you know no uh, I'm gonna keep on singing the song has no end mm. like 
it's it's all be like no this will continue like what, what we do will continue will sort of endure mm. um mm. That, and again i have no idea if, if that's the intent of it but that, that that's, that's how it, it processes it through me and that really kind of really affects me So this was the first song that he played for you. And he, I think it was either I this or Sons of Cain. No. It was one of those two. He put it on, a, I think, maybe your first mix. I guess I can. I, mean, I, I would have put this on. Let's see. And he just stared at you while Sons of Cain is... is, is <laughs> <laughs> this was even before we were dating. He made me a mixtape. This was... I know it was before we were dating because it was Bernie's favorites, I think. Bernie's mix. Not. You made me one, but it was just Louie Louie the whole time yeah. over and over again. And it was me doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Is that how you pronounce that? Like, I know they sing it, Louie Louie. That's how I pronounce it. So when you say on my tape, on <laughs> but when you actually say the title of the song, what do you say? I say like, oh, you know what song I really like? I really like that. Louie Louie. <laughs> and then the room clears. Mm-hmm. Also, I love this guitar solo. It's, yeah. it's you keep expecting him to like really go big with it, and he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. And then it comes down to this. The B is going and he's just doing hitting that echo. Yeah. Finally yeah. found it. It was Hearts of Oak. It was All right. on that mix mm-hmm. and along with um, a justice song. <laughs> yep. The, the way this song ends is part of I think what gets me. Because it kind of builds up and th- this part, like we were singing the song together. Like, like we were singing the song together and we said let's sing it again and then those other voices come in and it had no end and then that however many know that those guitars just go and go and go and it's all about like every verse walking down the street with a friend of mine walking down the street and like it it all orally uh like the sound of it is to me and they they keep walking yeah mm-hmm. it, it continues like you the if it was a movie the camera stops yeah, and they keep walking, and they're still talking, they're still doing their thing, and they go on, and then the the guitar fades out, but you still have, you know, and the bass comes in, and the bass fades out, and then the drums go, and it is it. You're talking about cinematic. Yeah, we're talking about foreigner. Yeah, like that to me, like I can see that. I can see something that makes me visualize something for real. Yeah, and I think it's again like just really, really great. And then again, it goes into this. Which yeah. is like, oh, okay, great, interesting. Hey, by the way, 
things are bad. Like, you know, yeah. like this yeah. is how the world is. I yeah. wonder if that. I, I mean, I think it's just lyric commonalities, but the start of me and Mia is on a walk also. Oh, is it? Yeah, is it, yeah. Uh, I, was, I was walking through a light one morning. The, what album or is that I was on? walking through a something that's it's on. Living with the Living, I think. Um, or is that it? Shake the Sheets? I, it might be Shake the Sheets. I think it's, I can't remember. You guys are just making up titles. <laughs> but it's, uh, I, I, party, maybe I, I was walking through a life one morning. I don't know what the, the lyric is, but it's something. So maybe it's the start of the walk or the continuation of the walk. Is that on Fork and Pork? Yeah, it's definitely on Fork Trying and Pork. Trying to get it on a four pun right there. Oh, uh, God, they're just coming out without me knowing it. Get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Uh, is there another song you want to talk about? Uh, I really like Bridges and Bridges Squares, which is about um, Boston and then somewhere in New Jersey. I can't figure out where. Uh, and it's just, this, again, Mr. Leo likes to walk around. Because mm. it's about him walking around Kendall Square in Boston and past the Charles and just... Literally, it's him considering, again, I think America, maybe New World in a bigger sense, its place and his in, in the world and his place in it through Boston and then later um, uh, Jersey. And there's something, again, about it, the specificity of it, you know, like Kendall Square, River Charles, Shore, Shore, but he never gets grandiose with it. It's like the red... The red line go, train goes round again and then when he switches to Jersey at the end and the path train goes by again you know what I mean like that yeah. that grounds it in a way that you know e- even other bands I like that, that that eye for specificity makes you connect with it mm-hmm. you know like as someone who's lived in Boston and knows Boston like it's like yeah he, you know, he, he's sort of getting this feeling right he's looking at these old buildings there's a um something like the he's trying to cross a bridge over the Charles and I think it's um, I forget which one it is in one of them it's uh, the bridge was old the view was new and then when he switches to Jersey it's um, the, uh, the the bridge is new the view was old and I think that's like I don't know There's it's just him kind of maybe that's part of it too again you have to suffer through me figuring this out he doesn't ever solve anything in these yeah. songs. And he doesn't go, and here's what it is. And here's how to live your life. And yeah. here's what I see. It's presenting these thoughts and maybe half conclusions with no, like, so do this thing. Mm-hmm. And even Ballad of Sin Eater, which is, you know, like, he doesn't tell us what to do. You know, like, it, that Ballad of Sin Eater reminds me a lot of um, Mission of Burma's Academy Fight song, um, which is, you know, all about, like, it, it's just shitting all over you know these sort of like prep school people like mm-hmm. sort of like you can picture these sort of like young republicans and it's all you walk into the room um i smell like piss ask me tricky questions and it's all you 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 and then right at the end when it peaks it, uh the i'm not judging you i'm judging me <laughs> my academy and it switches to my academy and like i think that's one of the greatest rug pulls in music history i think mm-hmm. like when it turns around it's like no, you don't get to fuck. They, you don't get to say that just shit on these other people. We're like, we're all part I'm, of this. Thing. I'm the fucking dickhead too. Like, the, there's something amazing mm-hmm. about that, and I get that from some of what he does. I think he probably considers his place. Maybe not. I, you know, I don't, I don't know him. I'd freak out if I'm him. But uh, <laughs> maybe he is consider. I feel like he's considering his place in things. Yeah. Quite a bit. Well, it's interesting too because he's not um, when you're saying like he's not telling you what to do or anything. It, even in that song, he's saying like it's not the time to ossify. Like he's yeah. not, um, it's he's not telling you what to do, but it's also like okay, let's all just take a step back. <laughs> but it's interesting with this song specifically of like he's talking about these bridges and um, squares and stuff like that. Those have been 
those are firmly placed. They yeah. can't move. They're rigid. Yeah. Um, but like what we're doing, you need to be a little bit more fluid yeah. versus those things that will be there forever. That year formed me in a lot of ways, in the ways I think about a lot of things and tastes. It's hard to kind of think there was anything else going on at that time because we were, the news was so compelling. But w- what were you thinking of doing at that time? Um, um, when revolution? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, of, of like you were you were a senior in college. Yeah, you were gonna head somewhere, and so I was. Basically, I was convinced to move out here by my friend Matt. Um, Berg, Alex Berg and I were both sort of convinced to move out to L.A. sort of at the you know end of his senior year. So probably like May or June of 03. Until that, until that point, I've been doing comedy and like stuff like that. But I was like, I'll probably keep going to school. Because well, um, you were not a comedy major. No, I was not a comedy major. You weren't a director major. No, I was not a director major. You know, I was studying history, and I was like, and I, and I loved that. I was like, I'll probably go. And you, you, your, your focus was a very particular, uh, or maybe it was your thesis was a. My particular- thesis was yeah. My thesis was on the Whig opposition to the Mexican American War. So the anti-war so movement. Mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a comedy major. I was like bananas. <laughs> um, a great vaudeville bit about it. <laughs> well, it, that I was. It's it's sort of an it's a very specific focus, mm-hmm. which I mean, obviously, every thesis should be should be just yeah. American history. What's up with what? history? Yeah. So I always liked that because it, it's it felt like an overlooked period yes. of history that you were fascinated by. Yeah, I, I picked it for two reasons. One was because I wanted something that people hadn't written a ton about. Yeah, very stupid. A lot of hubris. <laughs> there's not that means there's not a lot of information. Really, or it's makes you gotta work harder to learn anything about it <laughs> yeah. when there's like. Just half chapters in books about it, so uh, I spent a lot of time. I'll do the in Vietnam like, War. Yeah, <laughs> I, I spent a summer in the basement of the New York Public Library going through old microfiche of newspapers because I you couldn't fucking find the shit anymore. Yeah, yeah, but that sounds so cool now. That does, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just fell in love with you all over. It, it was kind of cool, <laughs> but then the other part of it was because the Iraq War was starting. Uh, uh, I. I thought there were a lot of connections to the way the Iraq War was being rammed through and was rammed through, and the way Polk 
uh, rammed through the Mexican-American War, basically lying, uh, just saying, like, you know, Polk got that war saying, like, oh, that's not the just changing the border. Being like, no, the border is this river over here. That means these Mexican armies have invaded us just by, <laughs> like, that, that's how the war started. And everyone just kind of, like, went, what? Uh, and then they bullied everyone and be like, I, I guess, yeah, I, I guess so. And, the, the you know, the Whigs, who were pretty weak at that point, there weren't a lot of them, there were some of them who were really pushing back. Qu- Quincy Adams was one... Uh, and they really sort of fought that. They were the sort of like um, pacifisty types, you know, out writing books at Walden. But then there was, uh, you know, the, the political types, and they tried uh, and clobbered. <laughs> you know, like, and it, it, it was a wrong war. It was an unjust war. And at the time, again, seeing where the country was going, it's like, we're doing this again 150 years later. So you were convinced to go to L.A.? Uh, it was the end of his year. Like, So I'd done comedy with him, uh, at, with Berg, with Todd Fassum. We've been doing um, like improv and, yeah. and occasionally sketching stuff together there. Um, and he knew he was going to come out here, and he knew he was going to um, do uh, a comedy. That's what he wanted to do and, and try to write and stuff. So he convinced Berg and I one day at this bar. Like I can remember he got both Berg and I at the same time to go, okay, yeah, we'll try L.A. Mm. <laughs> Mom will do shows and we'll write together and, 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 and we'll try to make a go of it. And that was, uh, uh, yeah, at the uh, uh, end of, so beginning of summer 03. We still have one more year. That's That must have been exciting, though, to make that choice. Or was it scary? Yeah, no, was it, it was. I, I, don't, I don't remember being scared because I remember being like, it wasn't sort of like I had a big plan. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, I'm going to throw all this out. It was just sort of like, yeah, why not? Like, let's And let's you had a friend, try. like, you had somebody out here that was already... Yes. You come. You had a family here then, and then you were moving out with Berg. Yeah, it got scary later when he died six months after I moved out here. That probably was where the the scary part, because then the the plan was we were going to write together and do this sort of stuff together. And I think that time period again, in terms of formative things in my life, the only person in my life that had died up until that point was my grandfather. A few months earlier and he, he was older and so different uh, and so like that was a sad thing but it was sort of like oh okay that's what that is and then i think my grandfather died i think in early october of 2004 and then matt had a heart attack in early december 2004 so two months later so he he woke up and had a heart attack and then and, and died and that was at 22 not I wasn't prepared for what that was and it, it I, I've talked about this elsewhere but like it, it uh, you know a good five years to to pull come out from under it I would say yeah. uh and again like you know not to Whatever. draw too thick of a line between them but that's part of why things from that time period specifically music actually music from that time period there are a few things that helped me mm-hmm. um I would say that Ted Leo was definitely one of them, this album in particular. And I think that's one of the reasons that if I am in the right mood, the song Hearts of Oak can make me cry mm-hmm. because I, I, I listened to it a lot then. I would say this, uh, the, one of the other albums I put on there, um, Apologies to the Queen Mary, came out right around then. And that was another one, the Wolf Parade album, where I just listened to it over and over and over again. Mary has nothing to do with that. No, but it's just but connected it to that is time. Connected to there, my 
state of mind. There's something about um, a tragedy like that where you're surrounded by friends uh, who are trying to help and doing the best they can. Uh, but there's something even that touches you when a, a someone you don't know uh, provides that for you. Mm -hmm. um, even though I, I, I'm talking specifically of a, like a person you don't know hears something happen to you and they give you a hug. Sometimes that hug is profound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because they have no... Uh, there's no history between the two of you, yet they know that that person needs a hug at that moment. Yeah, mm -hmm. just pure empathy. Yeah, and I think our uh, albums can achieve that too. Like almost like they cut right through because you like I have nothing, uh, no history with this person except for the music that they're giving me right now, and it 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 I don't know. It helps so much. Yeah, and I think you know like that time was hard, and the music you know like I I'm I'm pretty sure I would have bailed and moved back east if if it wasn't for Alex Berg. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I would have I don't think I would have lasted another six months out here. I think I would have bailed real fast. I think fast. you still say that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and like I think having him there and, and living together in that shithole apartment. I, I would hope I was able to help him through that, but like literally living with him at that time. I can't think of a better person uh, to have with you. It was very, yeah. I, and I think we both process things exceptionally different, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. something like that, it's complementary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think we approach that the same way. And, and, and Todd, too, but I wasn't living with Todd. Todd was still in the Palisades. Uh, well, you experienced the same thing, even yeah. the, it, whatever perspective you each had on it, you experienced the same thing. And being in the same space together meant you were not alone, as mm -hmm. alone as you felt, yeah. I imagine. And we really like threw ourselves into, well, what makes us happy? And, and I remember, you know, yeah. like, what can we do to, this doesn't make what we are going to do defunct. Right. Um, we can sort of figure this out and work through this. I'm, I'm certain the way my brain works, you know, I, I, I punted on it for at least several months. Sure. The worst, the darkest part of it besides those first few days was probably about five months later. Yeah. Uh, like I just didn't show up for work one day and never went back and was pretty stricken. Like because I, I, I yeah. kind of do that, you know, uh, uh, mom in a sad holiday movie thing where I was like, great, I will take care of this stuff that needs to happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then when that stuff goes away, that's what that's where it happened. Um, but again, like, you know, that's a lot of like, you know, driving around LA and, and, you know, being in, again, my, my shitty room with a Ikea futon mattress <laughs> on an Ikea bed with no box spring, like listening to music, um, Where really, were you guys? what, what area of LA were you, in? uh, right by UCB sunset. We were on Wilton and, uh, basically Wilton and Carlton way. So literally like it's between sunset and, uh, it's right by that school. Pre-development. <laughs> Yeah, pre-development, yeah. a lot of, uh, uh, it was actually... And you guys were there for a while, though, right? We I'm were not... there until Deb and I moved in. Yeah, yeah, yeah we were there for years, years, years. years. It was very cheap, and we got broken into twice, but in general, it was actually pretty safe because there was a, there's a lot of, uh, I think, uh, organized crime around <laughs> the area, and we're right near a, a school, yeah. and I think it kind of uh, keeps area. the riffraff out because... <laughs> yeah. You you might rob someone, but it might be a dude who's going to then fucking murder you and everyone you know. Yeah. Uh, and so we, it's a weird demilitarized zone yeah. because yeah. of very specific factors. Mm -hmm. And the way I think about it, I wish I had thought about that when I was looking for parking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, we, had, we had spots. <laughs> Is there another song that you'd like to talk about, or did we cover uh, the only? The, the, I mean, I like 
pretty much every song on this album. Um, the song, uh, I don't know how to say it, uh, Tell Balgiri, Balgiri is Dead. Yeah. Um, I like quite a bit. There's another version of it. This one has organ in it or, or yeah. something. Um, Starts with a nice like, band, me? yeah. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> uh, and this one is, he does a just him version of it on this EP that came out right after this. It's also very good. But like, I, I was like, I don't know what this song's about. And I looked it up, and it's like an old Irish folk tale, yeah. the Tell Belgiri about. And oh. it's like, there's a traveler on the, the road, um, and he's another traveling traveler. along. Yeah, another traveler, and he's going along, and he sees a cat. A cat crosses his path, and the cat comes up to him and says, "I need you to send a. I need you to sell a message. Send a message." And he's like, oh, a talking cat. Holy shit. He goes, further down this lane, there's a cottage. Uh, and you have to go and you tell uh, the, the people there, tell Balguri that Balguri is dead. And the cat walks away. Uh, and this person's like, what the fuck? And so he goes down. And he says, sure enough, there's like a cabin, a little, little um, house. And he goes inside and he goes, I have a message um, to these people. And they're like, what is it? And they give him food and they give him drinks. He says, and I have to tell you something. I was, uh, I was told on the road. I have to say to tell Balgiri that Balgiri is dead, and then the cat in the room jumps up and goes, "That means I'm the Cat King," and runs up the chimney, and that's the story. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about cats. It's all about like like the fae wild, the, the, the you oh, know the oh, sort of cats? like fairies and like that. Oh, so it's like one wow. of those like Irish stories where like, oh, these are just there's just a magical cat kingdom in Ireland. <laughs> but the punchline, it's, it's a good punchline yeah. of the cat. Yeah. Now I'm the Cat King. <laughs> and he just runs up the chimney and runs away. It does feel like it, should, it would end with like and that cat king is you like why am i in the story i guess he's wondering <laughs> so i have no idea why that's the name of the song but i just think that's a funny i bet he just likes saying it yeah and like this is the one that you were saying he mentions cork like he, he's t- yeah. he talks about Ireland. i don't know what i, think I don't know if he's been there recently one, or, or where that oh yeah because like the count there's a few things that are mentioned in here that are both that are in um county cork uh-huh. Ireland. Oh, okay every one of his albums has at least like one song that is just you know, Sons of Cain or Me and Mia or, or Bottled in Cork or, or, you know, like these songs that, again, like should, they, they're not niche. You know what I mean? This is not, he, I, he does amazing and I think really great, wonderful things and that aren't sort of like, look at me, I'm challenging you to listen to this. You know what I mean? But yeah. also they're not, just sort of easy and simple and unworthy of analysis you know like with with great guitar playing and great song craft like you know he's he's not from this sort of like punk school where you know he's he's not doing the ramones yeah uh and even back in the chisel days like there's killer songs i used to do a show at theater bergen i used to do a show oh, radio. smug rock nation, smug rock nation yeah. which that's a lyric from a, a chisel <laughs> song and we play it when we came in and it's uh, like it's just get ready for the invasion self-satisfied smug rock nation uh and it's just like clearly him shitting on some element of the music scene yeah. but uh you know like his way with words like self-satisfied smug rock nation yeah. Woof, like that he, is a beautiful, like yeah. th- th- that's a the pleasing time. series of sounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, I, I, I just love that. I've, uh, it takes me, I can like a band for a long time before I understand at all what they're talking about. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I, I don't know if oh, you're like that too. I def- I, that's most albums, I barely know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, I have to really put thought into it. To, and, and part of me know. is just, I, I wait because it just makes it, there's more gems you just mm-hmm. slowly start to find treasure as you listen more and more. And I don't know what it is that, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm going to catch on if they're talking about an authoritarian state, like on the yeah. pro side of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
I think, but a lot of it is just, okay, I know I'm going to like this band. I already like this band, and yeah. I'm just going to enjoy the groove for a few months before I start to listen. It's like getting to know a person. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to bring it around. Maybe why don't yep. we play, can we play the last song on the album while yeah. we talk about what we learned today? Oh, yes. Just because yes. I might want to whistle a little bit with the song, too. So the last thing we like to do, Alex, is we want to go around in a circle and we want to talk about what we learned today. Um, doesn't have to be about the album. It could be anything. I learned two different things. One is um, you said something in passing when you were talking about your thesis, I think about like books on Walden or something like that. And I just had a moment of going, oh, that's why it was called Walden Books. <laughs> <laughs> I literally just had that. that I think I just uh, dated myself, but, yeah. but I had that moment of going, oh, yeah. it wasn't named after just like Jeff Walden. <laughs> uh, it literally just clicked into place. I didn't, I guess I, um, I don't know if I've ever heard of this friend, Pat. Pat McAlpin, yeah. Pat McAlpin. I, I, you may have mentioned him. Him? Yeah, him. him. He's great. Um, You'd like Pat. I bet I would. Um, what did you learn? Well, I learned about the struggle between the Wigs and uh, who was it? Yeah, it was mainly Polk. Polk, Polk yeah. yeah, I learned about that, which I know is uh, is history. I, I think I. You're right, it is history. <laughs> I mean, which is just history. <laughs> here, here, I got it. <laughs> when you're laughing, it's the hardest. Um, but I also learned that if you really love someone, you make them a mixtape first. Mm-hmm. A very before you know one. you love somebody. Yes, yeah. When you're you're just kind of you're, fe- you're feeling you're out circling. if you. Where you're like becoming friends when you're coaching somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's so much learning is I'm, I've been thinking about how many inflatable jukeboxes did Foreigner have to? They, it blew up every time. Yeah. Well, it was an effect, so they may have like a system built in that they so could it didn't easily actually prepare. destroy it. Yeah. But it. Yeah, there was like a flash pot, and then it probably deflated real fast. Because oh, okay. yeah. like in my mind, it popped every time. I was like, "That's a fucking." If confetti came out, big <laughs> budget. And then I think because uh, I haven't really like I don't know if I've ever beyond like little bits like really talked about this album, um, but I think probably like talking about that combination as we were talking about. I was like, yeah, you know what? That is something that consistently I react to of um, uh, sincerity without self-seriousness yeah. tends to be the thing that I, I hold over everything. So I love the movie Raising Arizona yeah. and that is a sincere and funny movie and in no way is it self-serious and, and that tends no. to be something that I, I, I yeah. in stuff I make I, I try and I think fail at to, to, to create and in talking about this I was like yeah that is part of why I, I react to this album is all these things could go so wrong and could be so cloying and and, pre- and, and he just you believe him mm-hmm. um, and because you believe him you buy into everything you know and all the all the guitar work is great and the puns are, are great I don't want to oversell <laughs> his amount of puns in his work there's not that many um, but like you know like that that sincerity makes it worth reacting to and, and, and it is something that I I think I, 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 I love. Alex Fernie is, like I said before, director, writer, performer. His l- latest directing project is Do You Want to See a Dead Body? Mm-hmm. Uh, for YouTube Red, 
Fernie, what would you say is the location that we're going to, when this comes out, where could they possibly find it? Is it just going to be a Google search and you'll it's, find I, it? Just on YouTube, Red, I think. I'm not sure how they're launching it. It's a show created by Rob Hubel. It has a lot of dead bodies and it's fun. <laughs> uh, but it's, I, I guess you go YouTube and I presume they have ads for it. I, yeah. I don't yeah. Uh, you can find him at Fernie comma Alex, all spelled out. There is no comma in there. Um, Alex Fernie, thank you so much for thank joining you, us. This was Thanks a pleasure. for having me. This Beth. is really fun. Have a good day, Joel. Have a good day, Deborah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to This Particular Album is very, very important to me. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at This Particular Album. Follow us on Twitter at Particular Album. This show is produced by Joel Spence, Deborah Tarika, Ryan Middledorf, and everyone at Campfire Media. Artwork by Anna Salinas. Music by me, Joel Spence. See you next time. Hi, I'm Muriel. And I'm Nick. And we are the co-hosts of the podcast, Hella Hella in Your Your 30s. 30s. This podcast is all about diets, hobbies. Never dying. Never dying. Fitbits. I'm going to try to moisturize my face more. Yeah, alcohol. Should we drink more or less? (laughs) Cheap Chipotle dates for two. We bring you hot episodes every Monday from Campfire Media. So make sure to subscribe on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.